Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, alongside, as always, Paul Gilieri. Paul, I'm feeling very festive, are you not? You should be feeling festive. Tis the season. Tis now, the season. more so than any other podcast we've recorded to this point. That is absolutely correct. I've got uh, some spiked eggnog in my hand. You have a cocktail as well? No, actually. I'm just drinking straight scotch neat. But I am holding a Santa hat in my hand. There is a Santa hat on your person. As yeah, there is I'm going to drape mine. it over my shoulder. There you go. Uh, I am wearing my mother's Christmas sweater because that's all I got. You know, this is going to be misleading for folks, Jason, because mm-hmm. you have this lovely background mm-hmm. behind you right now. Mm-hmm. And you and I spoke about a screenshot. But the screenshot that our listeners will see is of me in the comforting confines of my living room with a lovely fire and Christmas tree behind me. A real one. A real one, indeed. But what you have the sad misfortune of seeing is me in a sound booth, which is constructed in such a unique way on the inside of a closet, which is a perfect space, by the way, for those who want to build a sound booth. But it literally does look like I'm recording underneath the stairs as Chris Palumbo so affectionately <laughs> described my process mm. <laughs> when, when, when we were, ch- were chatting last with Black Circle. And, and no, nobody knows that I, it literally looks like I'm hiding from my family every time we record. Well, you know, <laughs> you could be hiding from your family. I could be hiding from my family. I'm in my garage where it's very cold. I'm all by myself in this giant garage. And there's a light in my face and a microphone in my face. And that's what I've got going on. Yeah, what people see is you with a sweater and a Santa hat and a lovely Christmas background. But what they don't know it's is all that a lie, you're in a Paul. dank garage you know and you have no pants Angeles. on. So. It's all a <laughs> lie. Pants are optional on this podcast. Exactly. You know what's not optional, though? Subscribing, rating, and reviewing this show. Nice segue. Because uh, thank you very much. Uh, because that is the spirit of the season. Um, as is this episode, we are going to be very heavily Christmas focused. So, um, if you celebrate that holiday, as many of us do, then you will appreciate this episode ever so much more. And, uh, but before we get into our Christmas themed stuff, there was a, you know, a little bit of news. It's about, I would say maybe a week or so old. So we have that little time to marinate on it, but spin magazine did this list listicle. Is the, is the is the proper nomenclature <laughs> that um, discuss the most influential artists of the past thirty five years? I'm going to rifle through this list, and then we're going to talk about where Pearl Jam has landed, according to mm-hmm. them. They're on the list. They are on the list. If I didn't give that away, here we go, real quick. No doubt, Sublime, Billie Eilish, Drake, Bikini Kill, Spice Girls, Tyler the Creator. Lady Gaga, Ricky Martin, Beyonce, Eminem, Jay-Z, Kanye West, Radiohead, Outkast, Jane's Addiction, Michael Jackson, Tori Amos, Notorious B.I.G., The Neptunes, Pearl Jam, U2, Dr. Dre, Beastie Boys, Guns N' Roses, Rage Against the Machine, Public Enemy, R.E.M., Run DMC, Tupac, Nine Inch Nails, N.W.A., Madonna, Prince, and Nirvana. That was in order. So if you weren't counting at home, Pearl Jam landed at 15. Hearing what surrounded them, what was above, what was below, do you feel that they were put in the correct spot? Obviously, this is very opinionated. This is very subjective. These lists don't really mean anything. No. It's fun to discuss. What do you think? Um, the Neptunes in front of Radiohead I thought was fascinating Jane's Addiction in front of 
Radiohead. I thought was fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, Pearl Jam in between the Neptunes and Dr. Dre. <laughs> and U2, pardon me. Pearl Jam between the Neptunes and, uh, and U2. Mm -hmm. But Nine Inch Nails ahead of all of these bands from the 90s yeah. at least. I don't know, man. Mystery to me. Yeah, I, I, I'd love to know the process. I'm not going to criticize the list because, you know, but I mean, just as easily as someone might criticize the way I choose my best of, right? So we, we end every podcast with a best of. It's mm -hmm. part of our series. I have a process. Somebody else might look at that and say, well, that process sucks, Paul. <laughs> Why don't you do it this way instead? And there's a fair argument there. So I, I don't know. This is highly subjective, obviously. It's not the order or even necessarily the artists that I would choose. Uh, where, uh, let's put it this way. I think it's cool that Pearl Jam's even on the list. So the fact that, you know, the band is being acknowledged for its influence as opposed to just, you know, what, what was the band's place in the history of music? Okay, that's one way to look at it. But when we talk about influence, we're talking about what, what has the band achieved as it relates to the creation of music beyond them. And when you think about Eddie's vocal style, when you think about the musical genre of alternative music, as it was called in the 90s, and Pearl Jam's role in that, and how that spawned this entire subgenre of post-grunge that we got in the, uh, the early 2000s and late 90s, I can see where this, this concept comes from. But the whole thing's just bizarre to me. I find it interesting that for all the bands that, that came out of the Seattle scene um, that then begat the, the, the offshoots and the, the, I don't want to say children, but the, you know, the derivatives, I guess mm -hmm. is the right word. That's a great word. I feel like they could be a skosh higher because I don't know that like I get rage, I get public enemy. I don't is REM really more influential? They were before them. True. By a little bit. I don't know if they're more inf influential on music as a whole. Run DMC, I understand. Tupac, I understand. Nine Inch Nails, um, fantastic band, and and I love them. We saw them together with Soundgarden uh, a few years back. Uh, they are they really that influential? Or well, is Trent I, Reznor by himself going into like the motion picture soundtrack thing? an influential figure. I, I don't know how many bands really came out of, out of that. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know what the parameters are, you know, what, what, what are the boxes? We can only take the word influential and, and, and ascribe to the It's so subjective. Yeah. You know? And so I think you and I would have different definitions of what that even means. So alas, much ado about nothing. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that they were there. Um, but you know, like you said, they were acknowledged. People still recognize that this band is a bunch of legends. So, kudos to them for being on this list. And uh, let's get to something else that the the band has done recently, and that's called Ten Days of Pearl Jam. And we've got a few things from the band as a bit of a thank you uh, Christmas present, I guess you could say. Although it started during yeah. the Hanukkah sessions, so we got the Atlanta show right. Mm -hmm. The much Ballyhooed Atlanta number two from 1994. That was a free download for 10 club members. You can also purchase it digitally or the CD um, for you lay people out there. Normies, as they're called. And we did get um, another another stream of a show from 2018 in Rome, which was very good, very cool. Yeah. But there was this this uh oh we did get a, a video by the way from 94 from Atlanta 94 the sonic reducer video some somebody shot it from the back of the auditorium it's it's just cool to see a that's not pro shot but it's cool to see a good quality video from the early 90s would you not agree i completely agree i thought it was really cool to get those two pieces together because for a long time i had the unofficial well i guess it was official i don't know i, I feel like the, the what i have the original copy was something that was handed out to radio stations if i recall but uh 
I didn't have a visual to go with that for many years. No one and did. So, right, not, you know. Pictures or even shitty YouTube stuff from like somebody's VHS yeah. copy. No one's seen any of this stuff. So that I, I thought was really cool. It's always fascinating to kind of get a visual to a show that you're really fond of or that you've always adored. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. On one hand, it's it's really, really beautiful, you know, because you, you get to complete the experience. On the other hand, there's also something, it's a little bittersweet because you have in your head what it looks like for so long and then suddenly <laughs> yeah. you get a much different different vantage point. Well, you know what's funny is- But uh, I appreciated that. I didn't re- ever really think about what the Fox theater was like, you know? Nor had I. So, but, so when they announced this a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, I immediately went on Google and just Google Fox Theater Atlanta, still a thing, still doing concerts. I Google imaged it. I did like a street view and I, and I went inside like the Google, like, you know, a little pin drop and you can, mm-hmm. you can see images from within the venue. And I was like, whoa, this is not exactly at all. Not exactly at all. This is not at all what I thought it looked like on the inside. Mm-hmm. It, it's very small. It looks very much like a, like a, um, like where you have plays and Broadway shows, that kind of thing that were yeah, traveling. Just, just to kind of pull back on this for a second. I'm wondering if this is what's going to replace the fan club singles. Because we, we've been getting these singles as late as like the summer of the following year, I feel like. Mm-hmm. By the way, <laughs> we it, still have not gotten the physical copies of the last two years. Well, that, there you go. <laughs> and so th- then there's that. So, I mean, you kind of look at this and you think, you know what? Rather than getting what sadly had become what I would say uh, far from remarkable outputs, I mm-hmm. suppose, you know, instead to say, hey, let's just do every year. Now, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to do this, but if they did, hey, 10 days of Pearl Jam, right? Instead of 12 days of Christmas, Pearl Jam, 10, 10 days of Pearl Jam. And they just little nuggets here and there to me it'd be something to be excited about every December as a Pearl Jam fan. I'd say, dude, 10 days of Pearl Jam coming up. I wonder what we're going to get. It could be, it could be anything, you know? And so it could be a new song every once in a blue moon. Uh, It could be uh, something live that we've never seen before. It could be remastering of something that has already been out there in circulation. They've got, they've done so many shows. Uh, It it could be just a little video of the guys performing something solo at home. I mean, all these things are welcome. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm hoping that this is their creative way of exploring how to celebrate their legacy and their music with their fan base at the end of every year, as opposed to just a one-off thing they did in light of what has been a very challenging year. So we'll see. Are you an Ellen fan? Ellen DeGeneres? Yeah, her show. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever, I've seen like clips and segments here and there. I, I say online. this because she, she has, for, I mean, I don't know if she did it this year, um, in light of the issue. I know she having, came under a lot of fire. Yeah. From- <laughs> Between that and, and the, and COVID, I don't, I don't know what she did with that this year, but anyways, every year for the past, I don't know, however long she's had her show, she's had, um, 12 days of Christmas. And if you were in the audience for those shows, you got crazy giveaway stuff. Like I'm talking tons of stuff. And this feels like it could be that Pearl Jam style because people get super jacked up about these Ellen shows. And, you know, you can have whatever opinion you want about Ellen or the, those shows or, or the show in general. But the idea of looking forward to a set of dates in December and just getting some goodies. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be big. No. I mean, just to something, you know? Well, for a lot of people, this remastering felt like a vault release. Um, Absolutely. I think most people, yeah. I mean, most people have Atlanta 94, but to get it remastered is kind of like getting something we've had, but newer. And it sounds good, man. And it it does. I actually compared the two. The the ones I have, the original ones already sounded crisp. I had a lot of best, you know, best ofs from that show on my verses. Oh, uh, right. Live cuts, you know, and this particular remaster it's just louder you know it's crisper it just hits hard it's full you know there's there's just a lot more it's just a richer sounding show and so i'd be totally down for this kind of thing in the future i'm hoping this is the start of something as opposed to just a one-off one-off
Well, part of that uh, was a two-part interview with Gigaton producer Josh Evans. Uh, it was listed on their Instagram, and the videos are actually on YouTube as unlisted. So you kind of have to find your way through a couple of links. But anywho, uh, I found the first 30 or so minutes of part one to be very interesting. And I, I've, I've written down a couple of notes here of things that kind of piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. And I want your thoughts on, the, on, on these as well. So I didn't know that he started working uh, with Pearl Jam around the avocado. I guess he's he like a sound engineer, roadie. I mean, he was kind of yeah in the, in the background. It was, like, it was it was literally like climbing a corporate ladder. He just was to- <laughs> just pulling coffee and moving shit around. And he actually helped them build out their own studio in the warehouse where they have their rehearsal space. Which, which and is, can you stuff. believe they did not have a studio of their How own until like twenty seventeen? It's unbelievable. Like what? I mean, these with all the money and the i mean I, I, look it's not for me to tell the guys how to spend their money sure. but this is their career you know, you think i mean shit i <laughs> i'm sitting here podcasting with you my wife does a little bit of voiceover i built her a booth us a booth i guess and out of a closet you know what i mean and mm-hmm. this is hardly bread and butter for me i mean this is their lives you know what i mean and yeah. you, you'd like to think that they would they would have said oh we can build our own studio as early as the inception of the monkey wrench you know way back when so to me when they finally said let's just take this warehouse and just you know parse off a, a you know or partition off a little little a build a partition and whatnot and, and kind of dedicate a corner of it towards a recording space it's it was mind-blowing to me that they hadn't done it. i don't know i guess they just you know they grew up in an era where it was very much about going to the studio you know, and, and, and there, every studio has its own history, you know? And so, oh, well, you got to record here. You got to record there. You know, that, that's the well, place you got to cut your two points there. I mean, you think about the Foo Fighters Sonic Highways album where they mm-hmm. literally made a point to go to different cities and famous places to get the vibe of that city and record a song. Yeah. So there, there's something to be said for that. Exactly. And I think to be out of your comfort zone is another big thing. So the, the reason why they'd go to a certain place in New Orleans or Atlanta or LA or whatever to record was to get a different headspace. You know, they're at Henson Studios in, in um, for Lightning Bolt and they were at, in Marin County uh, for Versus and famously Eddie didn't want that place because it was too comfortable. So he wanted to go out into the sauna and basically camp to get his head in the right space. So it's very much uh, for them at least uh, historically speaking, being in the right headspace and allowing that environment to inspire you in a certain way. So maybe yeah. they were pushing back against that for a long time because they felt maybe it was just too comfortable. Yeah. I don't know. That, that, that's completely just guessing. But on top of that, uh, when they first started demoing stuff for Gigaton back in 2017 or so, apparently Matt was on the road with Soundgarden. Yeah. Now, instead of bringing in just like a session drummer to kind of jam with. He rocked the MIDI. <laughs> he just started rocking MIDI beats on, on yeah. for them to jam over. And I, I imagine that's kind of where the impetus was for a lot of this more progressively sounding digital electronic thing. Well, I think that had something to do with it, but the whole organic process of having, having Stone and, and Jeff come in and they, they're just each recording a part and then this creative trust that says, look, you come in, do your thing on top of that. I'm not going to get upset if you scrap it or rewrite it or mess with it. I mean, essentially, they started recording without the intention. Of, like, they knew they were going to have to start creating a record, but they didn't approach the recording and creating process as though they were making a record. It was this just organic kind of let's just play and let's explore and Gigaton emerged out of that as opposed to, well, you know, we signed a deal or it's time to get in the studio and record. And, mm-hmm. you know, you come with your parts and I'll come with mine and, and let's see what we got. This was more just, I'm feeling it. So I'm going to come in and I'm going to do a little ditty. You know, this has just been circulating, swimming in my head. And then Mike would come in and say, you know what? I like that one little measure. They like that part, but I'm going to re-record all these other things. And then Stone comes in and is like, wow, Mike completely recorded, re-recorded everything I did. Uh, but th- it did some really interesting things. But th- there's this one piece here that I think could be even better if we tweak it this way. So he would then re-record Mar- Mike's piece. And it just became this this literally living thing 
that was just growing between the band members. And then I, I don't uh, think that that would have happened with another producer. I think Josh no. enabled them and, and, um, he just let it happen. Them. He encouraged yeah. them to just do it, to do it for sure. Right. Not, to, not to be so, you know, we don't get gigaton. I think if, if Brendan is correct with them or, or, or anybody else they've, they've worked with in the past. And so that to me is fascinating because it really doesn't sound like any other Pearl Jam record, which, I love about Gigaton. And I, I know it rubbed a lot of people. I shouldn't say a lot. It rubbed some people the wrong way who maybe had big expectations after such a long layoff. But I think that's exactly what I was hoping to get. It was something new and fresh after such a long layoff. You know what I mean? Cause it's going to yeah. linger longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's sparked a level of creativity in the band where we're actually seeing them explore their creative outlets and create music i think at a more rapid pace than they had after lightning bolt little things like the songs edge drop in the solo stuff the little things they do as a band so i don't know i mean if, if this becomes the new normal where they're just exploring this creative space and josh kind of opened up the door for that to happen and for them to explore being a band like this then everybody wins Absolutely. Now he apparently mixed this by himself in his home studio, which is just nuts in summer 2019. What I find interesting about that is that no one from the band, especially Ed was involved. He just took the, the, the material, the stems and just mixed it and then brought it to the band. Is this cool? And they were like, yeah, cool. And yeah. months later, it's going to be, you know, pushed to the masses. And then they go down to, to LA to Capitol Studios to do the Atmos mix, but like that's just wild to me that that no one was involved, as far as we know, with that mixing process. Yeah, well, I don't know how attached any of the band members are to that piece of the puzzle. I kind of feel like the whole reason you get together with a producer, sound engineers, what have you, is to trust them in that space. I'm not saying you let them take over your music, but I mean, like he, he was, he really did in a lot of ways kind of shepherd the sound of this record. And I think that that level of trust had been established in such a way where it felt comfortable and easy to say, yeah, as opposed to well, it'd well, been no. over two years with him, with him. So well, that's the thing. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think there was any surprises. I kind of feel like they, they had a very good sense of how this was going to sound. So Josh mixed the record with this sequence in mind and he was influenced how each song or that influenced how each song was mixed. So he, he went, he went into 2019 the summer in his home studio with all the stems, all the songs and the band had already sorted out how they wanted this thing sequenced. Right. So that he was saying how it kind of made him think about how he's going to mix these songs going from one thing to the next, because the album is one piece of art. I know it's a very archaic way of thinking according to, you know, the kids these days, but albums are albums. Right. And that's how the band approached it. And that's how Josh approached it. So once the sequencing was, was in, was sorted to have that already, I've never really thought about do bands mix things before they've sequenced an album. And so to hear him say, we knew what order these songs were in. So it, it changed how I was going to mix these songs from one to the next. Right. That's intriguing to me. It is. I mean, it's, 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 it's not how we would expect a Pearl Jam record to come together. You would think just, you know, okay, the song's done. How's this, what, what, how does this song sound best? And then you just raise the guitar here and raise the drums there and lower the vocal there and, no, but he he had the bigger picture in mind, which I think is a very interesting and it's probably a smarter way to mix. It, it's and, a it's almost like a concept album from an engineering standpoint exactly. versus lyrical point. content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Josh focused, he said, a lot on this space using space in his mixing, obviously with Atmos in mind. So I wonder how much that influenced Mike's solos throughout the record because there was a lot more reverb than normal, a lot more atmosphere around the note. Um, than I feel like there was before. There's a lot more immediacy in his solos previously. And this mm-hmm. one just felt more open. And obviously that's that's the whole, that's the motif of the record in general. But I wonder if the idea of space really influenced in such a direct manner how he'd, he'd mix individual guitar lines or drum snares and, and all that stuff. I would imagine so. I think that... Um... You know, 
the absence of sound. It's like when you're decorating or you're arranging art on your wall or something, you, you, you talk about negative space, you know, mm-hmm. like not having every wall covered with something um, and, and just kind of letting that negative space inform the rest of the process. And so I, without a doubt, I, I kind of feel like just thinking about the spaces between things allowed that to kind of come to fruition. I mean, I don't want to get ridiculously esoteric here and start talking about, you know, the waterfalls of Gigaton and, and the spacing between each droplet. I mean, this is <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It's a, it, it is a really interesting approach to engineer the sound. Whereas I feel like the band are just kind of coming at it from this is what feels right. And this is what sounds cool. And this is the way I want to create this song. And then having somebody else say, okay, well, let, let, let's kind of think about how these sounds work together, not necessarily as just this individual isolated composition, but as a piece of a larger whole. Yeah. The last point that I thought was very interesting, talked about comes and goes. He mentions getting out of the way of moments across mm-hmm. the album. And he, and he specifically mentions comes then goes. We've had the discussion way back when, on the on the review episode that you did not care for the fact that it was it was simply guitar and ed and i said yeah i think i kind of agree but i still think that it's strong enough to be on its own um so here was part of an answer sort of an answer as to why it was that way how do you feel about josh attributing getting out of the way for certain elements of a song or certain songs to let them do their thing. You know, he had said this in an in interview. I forget what the magazine was when Gigaton first came out. I remember reading this because they had asked him about this and he had specifically mentioned, if I recall, how, how this particular song came together. And to me, that's, I'm not a sound engineer, but based on what it appears the song is about, I, tr- I still believe that it was, a, it, it was a song that would be exalted if the rest of the band members could contribute to that grief. That, that, you know, and, and everybody needs to do it in his or her own way. But to me, I felt like if there was going to be a track on there, not having the band there to, to contribute to that, that it almost, the song feels like an unfulfilled expression due to the absence of the other band members who equally felt that loss. And so that was my argument at the time. And I think that, you know, Josh coming in and really looking at it within the greater context of the soundscape, that was a moment where we were, I wish that there had been more of a conversation and maybe there was, I don't know, but more of a conversation centered around what that song is really about, as opposed to saying, wow, I mean, that was just this truly heartfelt um, personal form of expression. And I'm just going to get out of the way and just let that happen. Um, I, I, I don't, I wonder if Brendan would have done that because I look at what better man was and how he, he came in with the organ. And then eventually we got the rest of the band on that track. And that was the version that landed on Vitology. But if you, if you listen to the reissue, you'll hear that bonus track where it's just organ with Brendan on the keys and Eddie playing the guitar. And it's a beautiful haunting version of Better Man. And, and many would argue that, that it's a superior version. But that was not just Eddie either. You know what I mean? There was that extra accompaniment. And so, and that was a very personal song for him, you know? So I don't know. I, I just, I still maintain that the song would benefit from having the rest of the band play a role in this shared expression of grief that I think could be something that would have been lifted in a way due to that shared grief. Cause it wasn't, Hey, this is my story or this is my grief and you guys are hearing it. And by proxy contributing it's, we all feel this and we're all bringing our own piece to this puzzle. So then and, is there, is there a song then? Because if he's talking about getting out of the way of certain moments and then mixing, mixing each song for the album as a whole, was there a song that maybe lent itself more to getting out of the way of and having less is more kind of be the on gigaton. I mean, yeah, that's tough. I I would say never destination 
I just feel like it's too long. Um, I would say that there are elements in not, uh, let's see, Quick Escape that are a little busy, I feel like, in terms of, of sound engineering. I mean, that song hits you right in the face, and I love mm-hmm. it. It's, it's one of my favorite songs on the album for sure. But there are places where it, it could breathe a bit more. Um, that was a song where I think being too passive ultimately didn't allow the song to realize what I think would are its greater ambitions. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out when they play it live. I imagine yeah. it'll just be Ed. Ed on the guitar, you never probably. know. You never know. Uh-huh. We, we sleep by myself transformed from one album to the next, as it were. Well, anywho, Christmas. That was, that was Christmas. We got all these goodies for Christmas. Mm-hmm. The band. Have we gotten through all 10? I think so. I think it ended Did a couple we? days ago. Oh, okay. As, as, as we're recording this, um, I believe the 10 days are up. I don't know what else they gave us, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I 10 remember. days, you'd imagine there'd be 10 things. I don't recall there being 10 things, but I shouldn't look, to, look a gift horse in the mouth. No, no, nor, nor will I. So, yeah, the guys have done Christmas songs before. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't Believe in Christmas, Santa God, Jingle Bells, Someday at Christmas, I believe. Yeah. Um, My favorite one of the bunch. Yes. And, you know, those are all fine by me and in some of them are even great. And, but you know what? There are so many classic Christmas songs. I thought to myself, there's gotta be a whole bunch that would sound awesome. If Pearl Jim did them made a cover. Sure. Why don't we pick five? Let's do it. Kind of our thing. So why don't you go first? And, and if, if there's anything that didn't make the cut, great. If not start at number five, what do you got? Uh, God, I can't say that there's an order to these in the sense that I want one more than another, but here are five. Okay. So here's, here's number five. Out of all the reindeers, you know you're the mastermind. Run Rudolph Run by Chuck Berry. It's just a great rocking Christmas song. I love the track. He kills it. I mean, Chuck Berry just, just a home run with this Wait, hold track. on. Chuck Berry's good? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Are you, are you who would have thought? I'll <laughs> take Chuck Berry's yeah. good. But this is the type of song that I could see the guys actually wanting to do. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, we, we totally do a Chuck Berry song. You know what I mean? It's, I could see this being on a Christmas list, uh, or, you know, playlist of, of one of the guys for sure. So I would say for sure, Run Rudolph Run. I would love to hear them cover that track. Well, I'm going to start things by saying that my wife suggested the Mariah Carey hit all I want for Christmas. <laughs> that would be fun. Now, if they played that, that would probably be pretty great. But I did it would be. It. Can't be. I mention it. Perhaps. But but no, that that that's cool. Yeah. My number five is equally funny. I wish it was Christmas today. Made famous by Saturday Night Live. I don't care what your mama says. Christmas time is near. I don't care what your daddy says. Christmas time is near. All I know is the Santa sleigh is making its way to the USA. You remember that SNL, Chris Kattan, Tracy Morgan. You don't remember this? No, man. I'm sorry. It's great. Listen to the Julian Casablanca's version. Okay. I like when Pearl Jam has fun. And what's more fun than this, in my opinion? I don't know. I can imagine uh, Boom playing a little keyboard part. Maybe Maybe Mike harmonizes with it. And I think Ed would have a lot of fun with it, especially these lyrics. All I know is that Santa Claus don't care about breaking or applying laws. And then the other line would be, and I don't, I don't, and I don't care what the newsman said. Christmas is full of cheer. So that speaks to Ed. It's a fun song. Julian Casablanca's made it a real song from being an SNL sketch. It's ripe for a Mike solo. I like it. I think they should do uh, it. No argument for me. Okay. Number four for you. What do you got? Winter Wonderland. Oh, um, you, for those of you who don't know, the Dean Martin version is by far the most iconic and quintessential version of this song. Anybody else who's ever done this song, it pales in comparison. Save all the rain, 
something about 80s baritone that I think would play well with this track, especially if you had a little bit of fun with it. And I could just see the rest of the band having a ball playing around that. So uh, it would be an upbeat track that I think would, would actually suit the band very, very well. I like that call. Yeah. Ooh, man. Well, my number four is not going to be as upbeat and fun, but I felt, I think it suits Eddie's vocal range just as well. Blue Christmas by Elvis Presley. I was just thinking about that one. So that's a good one. That could be cool. I mean, they do great heartbreak songs, especially when they're lower tempo. Uh, people like Billy Idol and Randy Travis have have made this song more rock than rockabilly, so it's possible to do this and make the transition. And I just think Pearl Jam would do this song really well. I think it fits right with right down their uh, right down their right in their wheelhouse. And I think Ed would sing it beautifully. Blue Christmas. I think we should have that. I like it. What do you got a three? So give me something by the Ronettes or Darlene Love, man. Christmas or sleigh ride. It's that, first of all, that's just a great era of music. I mean, that's some outstanding recording back in the day. And like, go do just Christmas baby, please, or sleigh ride, one of those tracks. And, but you got to do it as a duet. They've got to bring somebody in to sing with Eddie. I don't know who he's done a duet before. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Barney Carlisle, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but I think that could be a fun little ditty as well. I actually had a couple of the Roadrunner songs in my initial list of oh, yeah? songs. I go, oh, these okay. could be fun. They could be. Well, number three for me, uh, Chuck Berry, Run Rudolph Run. Run, run, Rudolph. Santa's got to make it to town. Santa, make him hurry. Tell him he can take the freeway down. There you go. I mean, come on. Blues rock song. That's easy. Boom For would sure. have so much fun on this on the piano. Matt would just crush that backbeat. And another opportunity for Mike to go nuts. This song could be expanded a couple of different times for multiple solos, maybe trading off with Boom and Stone. They would have so much fun with this. This is an easy pick. Number three, Run Rudolph Run. What do you got for number two? I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> I saw Mommy I can I can hear I can actually see Ed singing this song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can I. That's the thing. <laughs> um, I just think it would be it would be hilarious and it would be very appreciated. I, I really think that they would hit a home run with this. What a good call! Yeah. Number two for me. Please come home for Christmas by the Eagles. Bells will be ringing. The sad, sad news. Oh, that's a good one. Bells will be ringing. So yeah. good. Classic. Uh, Pearl Jam do the, the waltz, the three, four time signature really well. And I think Ed and Mike would shine here. You can see a theme that, you know, Ed and Mike shining is kind of my thing. The swing beat is a nice change of pace. And another heartbreak at the holidays vibe is something that Ed could really lean into easily. And I mean, Ed could dedicate this to our soldiers around the world. You know, it's, that's right in his world house. So I think this is an easy song for them to do. It's a classic song. It's by a rock band, so it has the same sensibilities. The, to be fair, the Bon Jovi version from the early 90s is fantastic too, but I think oh, yeah. they would crush this. So that's my number two. What do you got at number one? Just give me Matt, little drummer boy. Let's do it. <laughs> I pray my wish will come true. As for my child and your child too. Oh man, you know I couldn't get 
David Bowie and Bing Crosby out of my head the other day, you know, sitting down. You, you've seen that clip, right? Where they're just kind of hanging out. No. In that. Oh, dude. All right. I'm going to post this on our, on our Facebook page. Okay. It is literally an epic classic of two outstanding, iconic musicians being obviously being the voice of Christmas and, and David Bowie, Bowie, pardon me, uh, being David Bowie. And, uh, I don't know, man. I just think that there's some some really, really cool magic that could be had with a very interesting, unlikely pairing. And so let's just have Matt Cameron right there. <laughs> Maybe you're doing the beatbox. The guy gets so creative when it comes to creating percussion. I think he'd have fun with it. And then uh, I'd love to see Eddie like get together with just the last person you'd think that he would actually sit down with. Like, is Engelbert Humperdinck still alive? I mean, I, it just... <laughs> <laughs> joking, Luciano joking. Pavarotti. There you go, man. I don't know. I don't know. Who sings but, the uh, uh, pum 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 part? Uh, Mike? No, I, we need a guest for this. Oh, that's the guest. Probably. Or Ed. I don't know. I'm going to go with Sia. Oh, okay. From the okay. land down under. We can bring, is she New Zealand or Australia? I forget. I don't know what she is. English? Yeah, she, 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 does, she does the Christmas thing every year. That, that, I like that pairing, oh, actually. Well, there you go. Dude, we might be onto something. She's kind of topical, right? She's still a hit maker, right? Yeah. Okay. That's it's out of the box thinking, and I was not expecting that, but I like it. Cool. That could be fun. My number one, and no one's gonna guess this. No one's gonna guess this. It's a song by Billy Squire. called Christmas is the time to say I love you. Oh. He performed it with like this I you could call it a choir, but it's really just like a, a gaggle of people who happen to be singing background for him at some like TV special. But mm-hmm. it's a really fun song. Okay. Another blues-based rock song that just so happens to be about Christmas and love. I mean, that's kind of an Ed's wheelhouse, right? So probably have to change the key for Ed because he sings it a little bit high. But the verses offer so many chances for Mike to get creative, fun little blues fills behind him, you know, yeah, like in yeah. black, uh, as an example. And another great backbeat and opportunity for Mike to wail. So that's great. And I think he and Boom could trade solos here. That'd be cool. Uh, more, I mean, that's, that that is a win every time they do exactly. that. Exactly. You know, I think about Crazy Mary, yeah. and I think yeah, this so could happen perfectly in this song. And who doesn't love a sing-along? You could have all kinds of fun guests, you know, pop pop in maybe they were the opening band and they pop in or if, if it's a live thing or if it's in the Pearl jams version of we are the world exactly <laughs> so i think guys go out there google these songs youtube these songs i'm telling you billy effing squire eagles what else do i got here chuck berry elvis saturday night live i'm telling you check I'm out julian casablanca's version well, the rock I, song. total sidebar what yeah. is one of your favorite christmas songs that you think nobody else listens to that nobody else listens to like it's a it's a song that you it has to be on your christmas mix and you're confident that like there's like two percent of the population that even knows what the hell this song is and that's being generous the two percent i mean just an outside the box i'm a classics guy though well, so am I. I mean, I'm all oh, about being Bomb. Nat King Cole, oh, come on, all that faithful. stuff. Right. But is there ever, is there ever been just like an album that there's a voice that you like and you said, you know what? I They're mean, doing a Christmas album. I'm curious. Let me check this out. You can't you know? go wrong with Sinatra or Bing. But no, of course not. Um, I'm a, I'm a big Buble fan. He had an album come out a handful of years ago. It's a tremendous Christmas album. Okay. Uh, you know, what's a great song. Aretha Franklin cover. I mean, I can stop right there. Aretha Franklin covered joy to the world. That fucking song rocks. Look up Aretha Franklin joy to the world. There's like double time. And like, it's like, it's almost a rock song. It's like an R and B rock song. There's like a whole choir. There's a key change that elevates the song. It's incredible. Maybe my favorite Christmas song of all time is that version of that song by Aretha. All but- right. Now, see, this is what I'm talking about. Like, um, I want this that says, yes. hey, I got to go check this out. I mean, Joy to the World is a very obvious song. I was trying to think of, you know, something that's very, you know, it's just more. Yeah. But. For sure. 
There you go. What do you guys, what do you guys think about this? Well, can I share mine? Oh, I'm sorry, please. Yes. Yeah. So I, I bring this up because I wanted listeners to kind of say, oh, let's send them on a little hunt at the end. There you of go. This. And I like they, it. it. We probably have already done that. By the way, how the hell did we get through all this? And not, neither one of us mentioned you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. I mean, that's how is that not something? I mean, that's covered? something that I would do acapella. We yeah, exactly. With the, with the accordion. <laughs> but so th- this is a very this is a song that might surprise you uh, from coming from me anyway. But I've always loved. Lee Nash's voice from Sixpence, None the Richer. Okay. I just, I've, I've always just loved her voice. And when I saw that they had done this Christmas album years ago, I was like, well, I'll just check it out. They brought this really interesting, new, inventive approach to all of their renditions of these Christmas tracks. But there were one or two original tracks on there. And this one track that they do called Christmas for Two is beautiful, man. Really? It is an outstanding track. You and your wife will be dancing behind that fake green screen Christmas tree behind your head in your dank garage to this track later tonight with a little glass of Chardonnay or red wine or eggnog, whatever it is that you want to be holding later on. I'm telling you, dude, this is the the song for lovers if you are looking Christmas for, for two. Christmas for two by six pence none the richer. It is uh, it, it's arguably in my top 25 for sure. Wow. Say, yeah, it's, it, it is. It's one of those weird oddities that just you just stumble on somehow. And then you just fall in love with it. And you're thinking, man, this is. But it, it, it's, it's a, a twist on a Christmas song in the sense that everybody, you know what? I'm going to post this on our, on our I love uh, it. page as well. You know, why not? Paul's doing social media. You know, it's going to be a good time. This is the state of love and trusts two days of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. I don't know how to transition out of that, but uh, <laughs> we got to do a lyric of the week. So let's just do that now. Yeah. And it should be a Christmas song. What do you say? Okay. Lyric of the week this week comes from the very first Christmas single, fan club single. And that's Let Me Sleep, Christmas time. Okay, Paul. Uh, sh- shocker of the year that we're picking this song? No, no. But it is it is an old song. It's a lovely song. They really didn't play it at all. They played it seven times total at concerts. Yeah. Um, the first one being at Bridge School in '94, and then like just a smattering in the last handful of years. So there's a giant gap of time where this was never heard by anybody. Uh, what do you make of these lyrics that we've got here? Well, you know, you you think about what this song is about, and I don't have vivid memories of it, like actually coming out. Out, how old? Like ten, eleven? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, this—it's the cold wind blows on the soles of my feet. Heaven knows nothing of me. I mean, it really—it's about. It, it comes from the point of view of the downtrodden in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I'm lost, nowhere to go. When I was a kid, how magic gets seen. Please let me sleep. It's Christmas time. And so it's, I don't know if that's supposed to be interpreted as, you know, let me just die. Like, you know, the Robert Frost poem, you know, uh, miles to go before I sleep, miles to go before I sleep, sleep as a reference metaphorically to death. Or if this is just saying, man, life is really hard right now. And uh, I really just this if, if there was ever a time where i should be feeling that magic again like i did when i was a kid it's right now can i just sleep and dream of that right now and dude after the year we've had in 2020 is there a more appropriate <laughs> well you're, you're 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 leaving it right where i would pick up um, there you go i i passed the baton to you on that yeah note. i mean it's a it's a pretty sad song really 
if you think about it, uh, mm-hmm. about being alone at Christmas time when we're supposed to be with loved ones. That's obviously not happening right now uh, for most of us. Um, obviously, this was written in the vein of, I think, Blue Christmas by Elvis and, and other songs of loneliness and heartbreak around the Christmas time. This one's a little bit more vague, though, as to why that person or the narrator is alone. I think Ed may have been talking about homelessness, too, perhaps. Uh, maybe a veteran um, having no one, being forgotten. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just reading too much into that, but it could be. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, this is damn near everyone, as you just said. Um, even if we have family, many of us feel lost with nowhere to go because we can't go anywhere. And wherever you are on the cautious scale in regards to COVID, we're all thinking about our loved ones, uh, especially those who may be at higher risk. You never know, even though the odds are in your favor. You know, many people are are playing it safe. And just in case, so it, it's, it's a forced loneliness uh, in this scenario right now in 2020. It's really hard. Um, so the best way to get through it is to be unconscious, I guess. I guess as, as they're saying in the song, to be asleep, to, quote, kill some time, get your eight hours, and it's eight hours closer to the end of this thing. Um, and that's kind of how I felt through this. Sometimes I wake up just to get to the end of the day, you know, yeah. another day down, another day closer to the end of this pandemic. So maybe this is a very apropos, um, I guess, interpretation of a song that was simply about just being by yourself at Christmas time and not feeling too great about it and just trying to get through things. But you know what? We got to take what we get and we got to try and make the best of it. And uh, despite my fake Christmas background, I do have a real tree in the house. I got my family in there. We're going to do what we can. My, my wife made fun of me because I busted out my Christmas suit. I have a legitimate two-piece suit that looks like wrapping paper. It's amazingly hideous. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> when I'm making Christmas Eve dinner and she was making fun of me and I said, you know what? I got nothing else. This is what I've got to bring the joy, man. <laughs> Spike my eggnog for me, please. Let me wear my suit and make your dinner. Have a happy Christmas. Just there give me that. Go. You know? You got a real fire going on. You got garland. I do, yeah. Do I, I, Christmas throws up in my home every single it does. year. Your, your and I make it so. great. Bro. You go full Thank Clark you. Griswold. It's fantastic. I do go full. You know, you know what? What's that line he says? <laughs> he looks at Clark in the office and he goes, you're the one true family man left, Clark. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You are. Well, appreciate that. We've, uh, there's only seven versions of this song, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Paul, you've selected something a little off the grid in our live cut of the week. Ready? So, Paul, our live card of the week, it comes from the, um, I believe, the Imagining Cornice Italian uh, video film, mm-hmm. as it were, from Verona. I think it's, it's on the Pearl Jam 20 soundtrack. Maybe it's on there as well. It's not the whole band really rocking out in front of a full stadium or even an arena. It's, it's this intimate moment. And you get these little pitter pat drums in the background and it just feels like you've been invited into, and and you hear like the sounds of the atmosphere around them. So you feel like you're just in this blustery, windy area somewhere and, and you just hear life behind them. And it's just so cozy and it feels like this, the, theme of the song is captured in the recording and the presentation and you don't get that with these bridge school uh, versions and what have you so it's there is no bad version of the song but to me this one stands out for how unique it is and the way that it captures the essence of the song that none of the other versions do well uh technically this is september 16th 2006 in verona italy let me sleep. Christmas time. Stay time. Okay. 
You mentioned it, Paul. This is an atmospheric song because Mike and Ed walked step by step to the top of what looks to be a very old, if not ancient, Roman amphitheater or Roman right. by design, obviously. Mm -hmm. it's Corona. And in the middle of the day, a little windy, and it's just Mike and Ed on guitar, and you hear. Uh, Mike kind of hitting the acoustic guitar, kind of like, kind of like this, mm -hmm. you know, to do to do the percussion part, and you know you're above the city, so you've got that kind of that ambient noise in the background of life just kind of going on without yeah. knowing what's what's happening at the top of this amphitheater, and they're just having a moment. They're having a, a two and a half three minute moment. You know, between shows and a very, a very successful Italian tour. And uh, I think you picked the right version. Thank you. Speaking of atmosphere, there's a funny, like, ticking sound happening around me right now. I'm guessing mm. it's the... What is it? Prob probably the failing fan of my laptop. I don't know what it oh, is. No. But it almost comes across like the, 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 the crackling sound of a fire. So... Mm. Like the one behind me. Yeah. <laughs> Roaring, roaring fire. <laughs> well, guys, we wish you a a lovely Christmas uh, wherever you are in this world. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's obviously not normal. And we're going to have Christmas next year, a year from now, and think, man, that was fucking weird last year, huh? What a shit show that was. And it'll be normal again. But... Until we get to that point, we've got to, you know, we're not sleeping to get there. We are, we got to be awake for it, but we've got to at least try and make the best of it. Yep. And um, whatever you can do to have a fabulous Christmas um, with your family that you've got with you, being safe, being sound, do it. And have a cocktail on us, and we salute you, and have a Merry Christmas, I think, right? Mm-hmm. You said it best, buddy. Well, we will be back with you next week. We will wrap up. 2020 Pearl Jam style and uh, look forward to a new year and uh, new tidings and Paul I, I can't salute you I can't cheers you because I've, I've run out of my spiked eggnog well then that is a perfect time to say goodbye for us to say goodbye <laughs> well until next week you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust <laughs>